what will he be doing in the meantime? Oh, you don't understand. I understand that he's 23 and you're 35, Bill. 35 in this business, you're an old man. Look, Julie, they're building this kid up, feeding him a lot of pushovers. If I can get over him tonight, that'll mean a rematch. That's a semi-wind-up, 150 guarantee. Maybe a top spot, even. Top spot? Yeah, a top spot. And I'm just one punch away. I remember the first time you told me you were just one punch away from the title shot. Don't you see, Bill? You'll always be just one punch away. Because aging boxer Bill Thompson always lost his past fights, his corrupt manager, without telling Thompson, takes bribe from a betting gangster to ensure Thompson's prearranged dive loss in the next match. That is the setup for The Setup, a 1949 boxing film noir movie directed by Robert Wise and starring the always great Robert Ryan, along with Audrey Totter, and a uh, murderer's row of character actors. Uh, Michael, this movie... Uh, you, when you suggested we talk about this, uh, I remembered I saw this movie a couple of years ago, maybe actually longer than that, probably about 10, 15 years ago. And I remembered liking it. It didn't leave much of an impression. But I was like, sure, you know, you were really enthusiastic about talking about this. And I was like, oh, let me give this another uh, chance. So I rewatched it again. And this is a great movie. <laughs> this is such a great movie. It, it, it is, isn't it? It's just, and it's it's such a tight film. I, you know, and you expect that from Robert Wise because he was such a great editor. And he, he worked with Wells on uh, Citizen Kane and, and, and Magnificent Ambersons. And it's, it's like a fighter. The movie is so lean, so mean, and so well-timed that it's like a great fighter in the ring. Yeah, um, yeah this movie is only 73 minutes. Uh, it, uh, it plays out in real time. Uh, the first shot of the movie is of the, the clock in the, the town square, and we see that it's like, what, like 9.04 or something like that? And then the final shot of the movie is the clock, and it's, you know, like 10.15. So this movie takes place in real time, which was pretty unusual. It's still unusual today, but it was almost unheard of in 1949. Right, and, and leave it, again, leave it to Robert Wise, an, an editor, to be able to do this and do it well. And he, the clocks, clocks are an ever-present symbol within the movie you know between there's an alarm clock and stoker's uh stoker thompson's um hotel room and you see the reflection of uh audrey totter his wife uh who plays his wife in in the clock uh the clock that's counting down in the ring and uh during the fight scenes uh and yes at para in in in, in paradise city the, um, it's such a great name. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that great? And I, I, you know, I was listening to uh, the DVD, and which is now out of print, unfortunately. And the movie is really begging for a, a Blu-ray release at some point, and I'm hoping they do it. Um, has a, a very good commentary by both Martin Scorsese uh, and Robert Wise. And Scorsese spoke, speaks about the movie's heightened reality that it's almost like a naturalistic like a painting and he he compared it and he compared it to hopper paintings edward hopper paintings is skid row but because it's black and white and because it's boxing and a lot of people probably don't know who this is but there's a there's an artist in the 40s and in the 50s uh named robert riggs he was an illustrator also but he was a fine artist and he did boxing lithographs and if 
listeners want to go ahead and, and, and Google his name and look at some of his prints after they see this movie, you'll see exactly what I mean because he, he captured even the audience. And that's what's great about this movie and the fight scenes is, is the crowd because it's just so rich with characters in the, in the crowd that it's got that they're, they're almost, they're, they're realistic, but they're almost, um, it's like an impressionistic kind of type of thing that it's not, um, it's not realistic in the sense of, um, how a fight would necessarily be, but it's, it's a caricature. It's a, not a caricature, that's the wrong word. It's, it's a, portrayal an obvious portrayal of the way the crowd would be yeah i mean and it's got a really it's also got a really strange thing where it's got it's got a blind man and his companion (laughs) that go to the fight and the companion is describing the action to his to his blind friend and and um the the screenwriter uh for the movie uh art cone Who's a who's a sports writer? When he covered fights, that came from him. When he covered fights, he said there he said at, at numerous fights there was this one particular blind man and his companion who would always go to the fight, and that's exactly what would happen. That's crazy. I, I, that's uh, yeah. That that is a weird. That's one of the first guys we meet, and the, the sort of great uh, you know glide pan over everybody waiting in line to get their tickets. And he said, we see the blind guy. And I love that the, the first time we really meet the blind guy, he's complaining about how far back they are when you're sort of like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what difference does it make? Right. Um, there's a guy who we see sitting in the audience who is simultaneously listening to a baseball game while he's watching the fight. He's got a and, radio. And, that was, and that, that's another one that, um, that, that came from Robert, Robert Wise. Robert Wise said that when he would go to the fights, and he went to a lot of fights to, as research for this, and he said there was a guy there who would come uh, numerous times with the radio listening to a baseball game while he's watching the fight. <laughs> uh, we have the other guy, the, the, uh, there's, well, there's no other way, the, the big corpulent dude who's just constantly eating, yeah. uh, he's shoving <laughs> hot dogs in his mouth and popcorn. He looks like a giant baby. And, he's really, and then the, the other funny thing is that they don't shy away from, um, the portrayals of, of some of the women in the, the there's in this in the crowd. There's the one woman who's there with her husband, and the husband doesn't seem all that into the fight, but she's bloodthirsty. She's like, "Yeah, kill him, kill!" Him. Like she's got exactly. that wild but, but look before, in her eye. But before she comes into the fight, she doesn't want to go in. She doesn't right, want right. to go at first, and then once she goes in, she's screaming, "Kill him, kill him!" And I believe that the the husband is played, and I don't know the actor's name, was the guy who played. Dennis the Menace's father on the Dennis the Menace TV series oh, in the right. 50s oh, or yeah. early 60s. That's right. Oh, I used to watch that show. Oh, that's right. I knew I recognized him from somewhere. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, geez. My Dennis's dad, Mr. Mr. Mitchell. The, the fights. Right. It's weird. Uh, yeah, I mean, this, the, the, uh, the setting of this movie is, is interesting in that it's all done on, of course, it's all done on sets, except for, I think, one sequence, except for one sequence where... Robert Ryan's wife, uh, Julie, played, as you mentioned, Audrey Totter, goes kind of wandering around the city. We pretty much just stay in the gymnasium and then the hotel that Stoker lives in. And- yeah, that, that was the Culver City set um, that, that in, in Hollywood that they filmed the Paradise City on. And, um, and yeah, as you said, the, um, the one scene that was filmed in L.A. on that is the scene on the overpass where she has the ticket and she's watching right. the trains and the bus go by and she tears up the ticket. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's got an amazing sense of, of place. And again, the names are Paradise City, an amazing name for your city. Uh, I love the, the, the little diner they go to, the, the ringside cafe. 
that's a great name. And there's this whole bit in the beginning where they go to the um, like the arcade, and there's a couple different people using that uh, the arcade machine where you the claw machine where you're trying to pull prizes out. And of right, course, right. and of course, nobody can get a pride. They lift up one guy gets a gets a camera, and he's about to get it, and then it drops out. And and they kind of go through a couple different characters doing that. And I have to think that that's sort of at the beginning of your movie, your metaphor. You know, everything is rigged. The game is rigged, and you're not oh, going to oh. you're not going to win. Exactly, and I think that you know the the idea this fantasy of getting something that is unattainable. Right. Um, and, 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 and Stoker speaks about that. You know, he, he talks about, I can beat this guy. He's a young guy. He's an up and coming fighter. Oh, I can beat him. He's, he's, he's telling his wife, I can beat him. And you know what? I can save up some money. You know, after I get some great, good fights, I can save up some money and I can, um, I can have a cigar stand. I can get a piece of this fighter that I want to get a piece of. Um, and even when, even the dressing room scene, which is a fantastic scene. Um, I know that uh, Robert Wise said that he, he actually went into the dressing room of the fights that he went to just as research. And it's a terrific scene. And, and while in that, in that scene, Stoker is listening to all the different guys talking, they're all talking about kind of their dreams of what they expect and what they hope for. And there's the one punch drunk guy who do is just absolutely, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's, He's punch drunk and he's talking about how um, just one more fight and just w- one one punch. Um, I just need one punch. Uh, so yeah, it's all about these dreams that all these guys have. You know, um, these dreams that they're never going to probably be able to attain. Yeah, I mean, we see we spend a lot of time in the back room with the boxers as as uh, Stoker gets ready for his fight. And the whole idea is that Stoker Thompson is over the hill. I mean, he's. Probably in his mid, I think they even say he's 35. I think, I don't right. know, yeah. And of course, in the, the boxing realm, that's ancient, uh, you know, other than somebody like Muhammad Ali or whatever, that's ancient. But he still wants to keep doing it. And of course, his wife, Julie, uh, doesn't want him to. And that's, you know, they have a really great relationship because she just loves Stoker. She loves him. She's, she's not actually sort of a, in a typical film noir. A woman where, you know, she's kind of ruthless and wants money and does a whole Lady Macbeth thing. She just wants Bill to be with her and to stop fighting. And he's the one that can't give up on that idea that he can just win this fight. Uh, which is typical of which is typical of fighters. I mean, no, I can't think of many fighters, you know, even even when you're thinking about great fighters who knew when to stop. Right. Um, Rocky Marciano may have been one of the very few who was able to stop. But um, even though he considered coming back at at certain point, but he was able to stop. But that is the typical thing with a fighter. A fighter just doesn't know when to stop. He, you know, boxers always talk about it. And even Muhammad Ali spoke often about it. You know, I want to get out, you know, before with my health. Uh, You know, I I don't want to be carried out of the ring. But no matter how much they say it, they can't get it out of them. It's, It's in their blood. You know, boxing gets in your blood. Yeah, we meet all these boxers uh, behind the scenes, and it's it's funny to see all these guys at different points in their career because there's the young kid who's doing his first fight, and he, he gets so nervous before his first fight, he goes and he throws up, which is a great right. detail. And then you mentioned the other guy, the, the punch-drunk guy, the gunboat Johnson, uh, played by this actor, David Clark, whose face, I mean, they must he kind of looked like this in real life because I looked the guy up after I saw the movie, but they also must have done some makeup effects because his face is this really contorted mass of, it's not bruises, but his face doesn't look right when you look at him. He looks like somebody who's been punched a lot. 
because he just looks sort of distorted and, and odd and kind of grotesque. And you just realize this is a guy yeah, he's just been hit way too many times. And even Stoker, even Robert Ryan, Stoker, Robert Ryan's character, Stoker Thompson, has that. I mean, he has the cauliflower ear. You know, he has the scars you can see on his mouth and, and around his eyes also. Um, you know, he's a, he's a weathered, beaten fighter. Um, and all these guys, and the, um, the guy who plays the young African-American fighter, he would have been perfect to play Stoker Thompson because this story is based on a play. Oh, James um, Edwards. James James Edwards. James Edwards, exactly. Okay. That's it. James Edwards. Um, the play is is it, it, the the movie is based on a on a poem. By <laughs> How many times Joseph, do you get to say that? The boxing movie based on a poem. Exactly. It's a long narrative poem by uh, Joseph Moncure March, and um, the name of the character, lead character, is Pansy Jones, and he's 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 a black middleweight, and Robert Wise wanted to use Canada Lee. Um, and he wanted to cast Canada Lee as Pansy Jones. And Canada Lee was um, a veteran African-American actor who had not really had a lot of leads. He's in uh, he Lifeboat, was... right, with Alfred Hitchcock? He's, uh, Correct. He's in Hitchcock's Lifeboat. Yeah, I love that movie. Yes, and he was, in, he was in Body and Soul. He plays the guy that John Garfield's character beats to win the title in Body and Soul, and he eventually becomes friends with, with John Car- Garfield's character. They, he becomes John Garfield's... Uh, Sparring partner, uh, Canada Lee was able, was also blacklisted um, by the HUAC during the fifties. Um, but anyways, he 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 was what he was who Wise wanted to cast and RKO, run by Howard Hughes, who was a notorious racist himself, um, said you know he turned that down and and also there had never been uh, an African American actor starring in an RKO film, so. Robert Ryan always coveted that role. Uh, he loved that poem. He loved the poem when he was in Dartmouth, when he went to college in Dartmouth, where he was a, a collegiate heavyweight champion. And um, he found out that RKO had the rights to it, and uh, he was pressing for that role. So, you know, when Wise realized that he couldn't get Canada Lee, he cast Ryan because Ryan wanted it. And, and, it's great because Ryan, who is my favorite actor, is, is is so fantastic in this movie. He's just amazing, and the the guy can fight. The guy can fight, and I did some reading, and I found out that boxers, real boxers, like even like Joe Lewis, went to seek out Ryan and meet him and tell him how much they loved that film, and how much they loved the fight scenes in that movie, and how great he was. Yeah, I, uh, when I watched the, the fighting scenes, I mean, first of all, uh, you mentioned uh, Scorsese, and I learned a couple things about the movie looking up, is that Scorsese, again, he considers it a classic. As you mentioned, he does the audio commentary. But he apparently showed it to um, Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, as he kind showed of like, it to the cast, to the, to, the, to the cast of The Aviator. He talks about that in the director's commentary. He showed the movie to The Aviator cast. Right, they're playing where he plays Howard Hughes, ironically enough. Right. Uh, but, I mean, it's, you know, so, and Scorsese apparently meant, like, made sure that when he was shooting Raging Bull, he wasn't copying any of Robert Wise's shots because he loved this movie so much he didn't want to be, you know, he didn't want to feel like he was being accused of stealing these great shots, so he had to make a mental note of, like, okay, i got to do something different because he thought Robert Wise did such a perfect job. But anyway, when I was watching the movie, and I'm like, 
you know, wow, they're really not faking this. This is Robert Robert Ryan in there. I'm like, he looks he looks real. I didn't know that he was really a boxer until you mentioned it to me. You sent me some some notes uh, about this, and you know, as you mentioned, he really fought. I didn't know that, and that makes me think of something else. In that Robert Ryan, one of the great character actors in all of Hollywood, a filmography you know really unmatched uh, by a lot of people. For people who don't know him, here's just some of the movies he's been in: The Wild Bunch, Bad Day at Black Rock, The Dirty Dozen. Uh, you know, I mean, amazing. Well, and, but his 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 early noirs too. I mean, he was a star. I and mean, by the th- the movies you're mentioning too, also were later in his career. And that was right. by the time he was he was he was, he played more supporting role. But he was a star in his early years. And he he did movies like Crossfire, where he played. Um, he was nominated for an Academy Award for that, where he plays a murderous anti-Semitic. Uh, army officer, Great no, not officer, but um, enlisted man, and um, he was in Active Vengeance, um, and he could play both sides of the fence. He could play a heavy, and he was, unfortunately, in a lot of ways, he was um, uh, he was kind of known for being a heavy by the time um, later in his career. I mean, that's what he was kind of thought of, but he could play other roles just as well and and in particular uh the setup which is his favorite role um and speaking about his 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 ties to boxing besides being a a, a collegiate champion boxer uh he loved boxing and i'm friends with ryan's daughter uh her name is lisa ryan and uh she told me because i asked her i said can you give me some some info um regarding boxing or regarding your dad and, and the setup. And one te- one story she told me that I, I thought was really interesting was that he always made sure, and they moved around a lot because he was in plays in New York and Washington, D.C. and in Hollywood and so forth. And so they moved around a lot. And she said that he always had this framed photograph of a very famous Hall of Fame boxer named African-American boxer named Joe Gans who's a lightweight fighter and champion, and he always placed that photo in a prominent place in their house. Uh, and I, I just thought, as a boxing fan, I'm a, I'm a big boxing fan. My father was a, was a boxer. He was a pro boxer at one point. Um, I just thought that was great. You know, here, you know, he, he remembers this great African-American fighter who, back in that time, and this was in the late 19th century, early 20th century, this was a this was a guy who, as a black fighter, he he had problems trying to get white fighters to fight him. Sure, that's an amazing story. I love that about Robert Ryan. That's a, it's funny. He said what I was thinking is like, you know, I think about him as as this sort of tough guy, even when he's a good guy or a bad guy. And I would have expected that his background was kind of one of a a tough guy. And then you mentioned that he went to Dartmouth. I'm like, oh, okay. He, you know, you know, I mean, different people can go to college, but that doesn't suggest the sort of hard scrabble life that I would have expected from someone of a Robert Ryan. And it reminds me a little bit of Humphrey Bogart. Humphrey Bogart always played these scrappy up from nowhere kind of guys. And yet he came from a real upper crust crowd in, in New York. And so these guys, and, were able, these guys were able to sort of transpose that and not, not reveal that they, well, Ryan had, a, he, Ryan had a tough upbringing, I think when he was, when he was very young, but, um, he also was uh, heavily into uh, social causes, and um, he was a liberal, uh, and he was also not a part of the Hollywood crowd. He was very separate from the Hollywood crowd. Uh, he lived a life deliberately separate from, from, from Hollywood, 
which probably maybe hurt him in some ways in, in, in getting roles because he was he was more independent. But uh, everybody knew him as somebody who was uh, very much stood up for the little man um, and was uh, was involved in protests and um, racial equality and and so forth. And uh, he's a good guy. He was just. A, from what I understand from reading a uh, red biography of his and from what I've talked to uh, uh, Lisa about, uh, he's just a good guy. Hmm. That's good to know. I have uh, some vinyl records from a 1967 tribute concert to Woody Guthrie. Uh, that was that was done. It was right after he died because I think that's pretty much he died in the early to mid-60s. And this was a big tribute concert. And the reason I own it is because it was, uh, I'm a, as everyone listens to the network knows I'm a big Bob Dylan fan. I have the Pod Dylan show. Uh, this was like Dylan's first concert appearance after his motorcycle accident. So it was like a big deal. And Robert Ryan is there doing intros and reading like poetry. Oh, that's and I, I remember like, wow, Robert Ryan is, is at this concert with the band and with Bob Dylan and Joan Baez. And I thought, what were those, what were those backstage meetings? Like? I don't, I don't know about that, but you know what? I got to ask Lisa about that. Um, because that's interesting. Yeah, uh, I, had, yeah. I had no idea. A little trivia about Robert Ryan. Do you know who, uh, John Lennon and Yoko Ono bought their Dakota apartment from? I do not. Robert Ryan. That's okay. <laughs> that's, a, that's a weird, that's a weird detail. Yeah. He's, he is terrific in this movie and he doesn't, he doesn't say a lot. He doesn't, once he, no. once he's done with his scenes with Audrey Totter, he doesn't say very much and he's watching. There's a great moment where he, he's in his suit and he goes to watch another one of the fights. And of course he does no one knows he's a boxer. He's just standing there and there's another guy. There's a, a bystander who is screaming, kill him. Kill the, the guy is totally uh, into the bloodlust. And Ryan just gives the guy just a little squint of just, you know, watching, like, almost like, what am I doing this for? This, these, this, these are the people that I'm entertaining. And he is terrific in this movie. And, again, for, you know, the still final two-thirds of the movie, he doesn't say a lot. It's really him reacting to all the other stuff going on around him. And it says something about, I think, the, the idea that, you know, Ryan's character is an up sort of a, a guy on the up-and-up is that his manager – you know, throws in his manager is taking a, a buyout from the the, the 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 gangster, the little boy, and he doesn't even tell Stoker to go down. I mean, the guy he's so sure that Stoker's going to go down that he just doesn't even bother to tell him because I guess the idea is if he tells Stoker you got to take a fall, he knows Stoker's not going to do it because Stoker cares about what he's doing. He wants to be good. He wants to be a good boxer, and he's not going to take a dive. But the manager is so sure, and his cut man, they're both so sure that Stoker's going to, you know, going to fall. He even right. makes, has a line about it. he does a lot of sleeping on the ring, in the ring. Uh, that, you know, the, the, the fix is in from the beginning, even though, of course, Stoker doesn't know anything about it. Right. Uh, they don't have, they don't care at all. I, you know, and he, this, this goes to a couple of things, and I just wanted to mention when we're talking about the guy who plays his manager and the guy who plays his trainer. Um, but back to what a quote that I read in, um, in Ryan's biography that he was talking about the movie. And the quote is, I, I thought the story was wonderful because it had none of the usual mawkish glamor that is falsely attached to prize fight stories. It's not a glamorous business. You know, and he knew, I mean, being a boxer, even though it was a, he was a collegiate boxer, but he was obviously a boxing fan with the, the whole thing with him, you know, Joe Gans being his hero, that he followed the fights and he went to fights and he understood about boxing. And this movie 
understands it, they, there's an understanding of boxing that it is the noir of sports. I like to describe it that way. It's the noir of sports. It's a dirty business. It's a dark business. Um, but back to to the, the 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 his manager and trainer. His manager is played by George Tobias, who's was in a as a character actor in a lot of film noir movies and a lot of films. And he, of course, he's, he's, he's famous. He's famous for being, uh, Abner Kravitz and bewitched. <laughs> and then Percy Helton. Percy Helton. I love is, Percy Helton. Uh, oh, so do I. I am a huge fan of Percy Helton. And my favorite Percy Helton movie is, or performance is him and kiss me deadly, which is another noir, which a lot of people look at as like the last of the classic film noirs. Um, and, he, uh, you know, he's always this groveling, you know, just sli- slimy little guy, you know, slug. And he certainly is in this movie, too. He's got know? an amazing comb over in this movie. He, he looks so, he's always sweaty. I recognize him immediately. He's in, anyone, again, who listens to film and knows one of my favorite movies is White Christmas. And he's in White Christmas in yeah. a tiny, tiny part as the train conductor. He's the one that sells... Uh, the tickets to Vermont to uh, Bob and Phil, Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye. And he's in another one of movies um, that I love, How to Marry a Millionaire. He's a real estate agent in that. He sells the big apartments at Lauren Bacall. That was a guy, he's got like hundreds of credits. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. I just, the minute I saw him in the movie, I thought, oh, it's great. It's Percy Helton. And, you know, the, the introduction for Tiny, the manager, is great because we see what kind of respect he has for Stoker by he draws, um, he's trying to light a cigarette and he draws a match up against the fight card poster and he literally drags the match across Stoker's name, leaving, you know, some, some, some filament, like right, not filament, but leaving some ash right across Stoker's name. And I'm like, Oh, that's, that's the level of respect he has for, for and you get that second shot of, of that poster too, with, with the ash going across his name also. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a dirty business. And you were, you mentioned before about Scorsese not wanting to, um, copy the film and, and, but there are a couple of moments and one in particular that are tied to, to, to Raging Bull and whether it's, just coincidence or it was something that was in um scorsese's subconscious um but there's a scene where in the dressing room which again is in in in, um the setup which is such a great scene where robert ryan after fighter is taken out after his 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 fight he's going to be taken to the hospital um uh gunboat is taken out yeah yeah is taken out after he's examined by the, and they're, you know, all the fighters, there's this great pan where they, all the fighters are watching as the, as, as he's, 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 uh, mumbling and he's, he's delirious after being knocked out. Um, the, after he's taken out and gone to the hospital, there's a really fantastic shot, great nuanced moment, subtle moment of Ryan just staring at himself in the mirror in the dressing room looking at him and you can see the scars on his face. You can see the cauliflower ear. And there's a, a terrific moment that's just like that and Raging Bull after uh, Jake LaMotta, Robert De Niro, has just fought uh, Sugar Ray Robinson for the second time and lost a very controversial decision to Robinson. And he's just staring at himself in the mirror and he's touching his his scar and looking at the scar on the side of his, his, his eye. I, it's there, Those... Two are very there's there's 
there's a comparison there because there's very much the same type of thing going on with the actors and with the camera, the way that works. Um, there's another moment also uh, you were talking about before when Robert Ryan first walks in and he's in his street clothes uh, before his fight and he walks into the, um, the arena and as he's walking into the arena and the camera is following him um, and the fights are going on, just the composition of that and the fact that it's black and white and the smoke and the, um, the, the feel of it is very much like the really terrific tracking shot in Raging Bull when Jake LaMotta is going to go fight Marcel Serdan for the middleweight title. And they fought, you follow him up from the depths of the Detroit arena to go up to to fight and it's this just the smoke is heavily over over the over over the arena and the you know the crowd is electric and um these are these could be just things that 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 you 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 capture in 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 the fights but both both those movies and they happen to be number one and number two on my list as far as like the best boxing movies the setup being number one and raging bull being number two but both those movies, and in particular the setup, captures all of these things about boxing. Yeah, and after through I mean, through the whole fight, when he's uh, he keeps looking over at the when he's in the ring finally, and he keeps looking over at the seat that he has given to Julie to see if she's arrived, and she hasn't because she she can't bear to to watch her husband get pummeled again. And it's I like the idea of that is that you know you think you're being sort of I hate to use the phrase set up, but that like he's going to lose, he's going to lose his focus because his wife isn't there. But, I mean, that's not exactly what happens. And then afterwards, when he gets confronted by Little Boy, who's like, you know, why didn't you take a dive? Uh, Stoker's like, I didn't, you know, I didn't know anything about it. And then there's this wonderful scene afterwards where every, all the other boxers have filtered out. And all of a sudden, the backstage area, which was this incredibly crowded, noisy place, is just deadly quiet. Everybody's gone. And Stoker is in the hallway all by himself. And... You know, you can't help but think this it reminds one of the th- movies of Val Luton, who I've talked about here on the show before. And, of course, Robert Wise got his start for Val Luton. Right. Uh, yeah, he was, he, was, he, was the, he was the editor for, for Luton. And, and, and Wise talked about on the, on the commentary for, for, for the setup that the end of the movie that you're talking about, these, these, especially these filmed in very shadowy, especially the scene – where he's out in the alley and they've, they're, they've got him and they're, they're going to beat him up. Uh, he, he said that, that, that was deliberately uh, influenced by, by Val Luton and especially when they break Stoker's hand. And Which that's you never com- see. You don't see right, that it's off, it's off camera. It's completely off camera. And it's, what's funny is that there's no music. There's no music soundtrack in the setup. And that's the one moment where this jazz music comes up from this jazz club that's next that's next door just as they're about to break his hand camera moves away and you see the shadow of the drummer drumming in the jazz oh, group that, that and scene the music, is so and the music good. comes up you know it's that val luton you know thought process that you know what's going to scare you most is what's in your mind you know you don't need to see it yeah that's that's an amazing sequence that's a bravura if I'm saying that right, for a sequence. And, you know, Robert, Robert Wise, we probably spend at least a minute or talking about Robert Wise because this is a guy, one of the great filmographies of, in Hollywood. And kind of interesting in that he is, I, I think a lot of times when you, when you have a director called a journeyman, that's meant as kind of an insult because it means they don't have a definable style 
necessarily. But um, I don't know. I, I think Robert Wise is one of those guys who I, he directed more masterpieces or more movies that have gone on to be, become immortal than probably virtually anybody else. But yet I don't think you can pin down a discernible style in any one of his movies that you say, oh, this is clearly a Robert Wise movie, the way he can with Hitchcock or Martin Scorsese. But nevertheless, I mean, for people who don't aren't familiar with Robert Wise, I mean, this is a guy who directed, as we mentioned, the setup. He directed West Side Story, The Day the Earth Stood Still, The Sound of Music, The Sand Pebbles. I mean, you know, like all these. And he directed, in my opinion, to I would think one of the greatest horror films ever made, The Haunting. Did The Haunting, and, the, and, bo- the and, Body Snatcher. I mean, you know, all exactly. these incredibly you know, different and, movies. You know, and also, and also, as you mentioned, The Day the Earth Stood Still, which is one of the great science fiction films. I think yeah. exactly what you said, which was he didn't have a discernible style that hurts him. I've heard, I've seen people, um, and I've posted on, on Twitter my love for this film. Um, and my, and, and, I've seen people criticize Robert Wise mm. after, from that, you know, saying, "Oh, he's a, you know, he's just not much of anything." I get he's okay, wow. you know, he's not bad, but there's nothing great about him. And and all you have to do is look at his um, at, at the films that he's done, that he's edited, that he's directed, and they're great. And I think The Haunting, and there's a movie we were just talking about how you know you don't have to see things to be scared or to be shocked or to be um, get some kind of an emotional reaction in a film. And there's a movie that's a scary film, and you really don't see anything necessarily scary, but it's a, it's a it gives you a good scare. I th- I think it's like unless you're considered an auteur, you know, where like now nowadays they bastardize they use visionary. For God's sakes, they they slap the word visionary in front of Zack Snyder, and they're just like, all right, these these words don't <laughs> words don't have meaning anymore. <laughs> That's what we're doing. But I mean, yeah, I mean, Robert Wise, I think, was a guy probably similar to Howard Hawks in that they didn't feel the need or whatever. I don't want to try and second guess what they were thinking, but like they didn't impose their style onto the story. They were like, what's the most effective way to tell the story that I'm telling? And that's why, you know, Howard Hawks can direct screwball comedies as well as, you know, supposedly The Thing or some classic Western. And here's Robert Wise going through all of these different genres and and being able to knock out a classic. I mean, he's done a classic musical. He's done a classic sci-fi film. He's done a classic film noir. His first film as director is Curse of the Cat People, which is this very strange fantasy movie. It's a little mini classic. But, you know, I mean, this is a guy who could do all. I mean, again, you know. When you, he was he was incredibly versatile, and yeah. but but what it all gets down to when you're talking about Hawks and you're talking about about Wise, also you know you as different than the auteurs, is that he's a storyteller. He's a great story. Isn't that what a great director is? A great director is a great is a great storyteller, and I think he was he was a terrific storyteller. And um, I'm 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 glad to hear him say that as far as the setup goes, it's it's his favorite movie he made for for RKO. And um, one of his favorite movies he's ever made, he would he said like in the top five movies that he's made, and it's his favorite. And it was also talking about favorite Robert Ryan's favorite film. Get back to Audrey Totter just as the, oh yeah, the, we do need to talk about her too. She's terrific. Is, in this is, movie. is how great she is, and how what a great nuance as her performance as nuanced and as subtle and as wonderful as. Ryan's performance is, is Audrey Totter's. This just the same in this, and she could also just like 
Ryan play both sides of the fence. There's there's a movie, um, and I know you and I said we would talk about this, is that my friend and my boss, Eddie Muller, who's the head of the Film Noir Foundation, he has a show on Noir Alley, called, on TCM called Noir Alley now, and, and th- tomorrow, Sunday, we're, we're recording Saturday, and this is on the 25th of March, Sunday the 26th, Tension is going to be, he's going to show Tension at 10 a.m. in the morning, and she is about as evil as you get in that movie. I've never seen Tension. I'll have to. All right, with I'll have to try. Richard Basehart. Richard Basehart is, is is plays with her in that. Um, and he stars in that with her, and that is a terrific film. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and she is the antithesis of who she is in the setup. That's interesting. I, I read a, a quote, uh, something on IMDb about her that some I'm forgetting who it is now. I could probably should look it up, but some actor apparently said that he thought she was the most terrific actress she's ever he'd ever seen, but she was never going to be a star because she was not interested in projecting herself onto the role. She was so immersed in whatever part she played that it, it would keep her from being a star. And it was sort of like, you know, it makes you a better actress, but it's probably not going to help your career. And that, that right. kind of worked out because she never was that huge a star. She really was more of a film noir kind of actress. She's in a movie called The, the Lady in the Lake, which is <laughs> which is memorable because uh, the whole movie is done in first person. Right, you've right. Got right. The, you've got other characters talking to the camera because the camera is the detective. Yeah, is which is, it, yeah, an interesting, it's a bit of a failure, but it's an interesting film from that sense. But she's the best thing about that movie. Yeah, she's terrific in that. She's really terrific in that. And she's, uh, she was in The Postman Always Rings twice. I'll have to check out Tension. And you mentioned uh, you mentioned Eddie Muller. Eddie's great. I, I'm, I'm familiar with him as well. I've talked to him here and there. I've helped him out with a couple things here and there. And uh, and I did some artwork for him. And, and he is going to be showing the setup on Noir Alley, right, in April? Yes, uh, April 23rd. April 23rd. Uh, Eddie's okay. going to show uh, the setup. And he and I have talked often about the movie and both in agreement that it's the greatest boxing movie ever made. And, um, his dad, Eddie's dad was Eddie Miller senior was the longtime uh, boxing columnist for the San Francisco examiner. So Eddie, it was one of the things that connected Eddie and I was the, the, the boxing thing. And his dad, you know, he grew up with a father who was a boxing writer and my father was a boxer. And, you know, so that was that connection in, that, in the blood, you know, and boxing, you just can't get rid of it. You know, you just, get that attachment to it. And it's a father. It's always a lot. A lot of times it's a father, son or a father, daughter thing. Um, that's how you get your interest in boxing. Um, it's passed down in that way, but, uh, Eddie is going to show it and I'm sure he'll have some great and interesting things to say. And he actually wrote a very good article, um, in the magazine that I designed for the film War foundation called more city. We did a, um, a special issue about Robert Ryan. Um, our second issue was all about, Robert Ryan and all the different roles he played. And Eddie wrote a very good piece. Uh, so did um, sports writer, uh, another West Coast sports writer named Carl Stewart. Both wrote excellent pieces and on uh, the setup and Robert Ryan and the setup. Um, and uh, you can go to the Fillmore Foundation website and find out how to get that issue. But it's, it's good stuff. Um, very interesting. I mean, people love this movie. People love the setup. Uh, I don't think a lot of people have seen it. Um, no, I think, no. I think Raging true. Bull. I think Raging Bull tops most people's lists. I don't want to talk about Rocky. Uh, yeah, right. Not, yeah, I'm not a Rocky fan. Um, but uh, but most people who understand boxing and who are uh, love boxing, uh, 
Raging Bull seems to top their list. But the people who have seen the setup and I think either have the setup as one of their top or the top movie and their top boxing film. And this movie pretty much got ignored by the Oscars because, and this is a, a note you say, I didn't know this was really interesting, is they, the Hollywood basically rejected it because Howard Hughes was behind it and they didn't like Howard Hughes. And then a boxing movie came out the same year, The Champion, with Kirk Douglas, and that got nominated for five Oscars. So they were yeah, clearly and, like, and Kirk, yes to this boxing movie, no to this boxing movie. And Kirk Douglas was nominated for, for an Oscar, but, but Ryan wasn't. And I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Champion either because I think – and I like Kirk Douglas. I'm a fan of Kirk Douglas, but I think he overdoes it in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the fact that Robert – that Howard Hughes actually – sued champion champion was being worked on and and came out um the same year and apparently there was a scene that hughes felt kind of was very much like the setup i don't remember what the scene was and what what part of the plot it was but he sued champion he sued i guess it was universal i think who put out or I can't remember who it was who put out who put out Champion, but he sued the studio, and they had to remove that part of the film, and that was definitely behind the the fact that that Hollywood rejected the setup, um, and it's too bad. But uh, I I also sent you in the in the notes that you know it 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 hurt Ryan that that the movie didn't get recognized, even though he he won um, Best Actor at the Cannes Film Festival for it. Wow. Uh, yeah, and. I think that um, he he was at a, an RKO or some screening of a movie, and he walked out of the movie, and and Cary Grant came up to him and said, "Oh, you're Robert, you're you're Robert Ryan, aren't you?" And he said, "Yes." He said, "Well, I'm Cary Grant." <laughs> like he had to introduce himself, and he said. Um, you were in the setup, and I just wanted to tell you that that was one of the greatest performances I've ever seen. Wow. And and Ryan always never forgot that. I'm trying to picture just in my head the idea of Robert Ryan and Cary Grant standing next to each other. That just yeah. seems like <laughs> you know, they're, they're both made up of the same basic genetic material, and yet they've <laughs> resulted in two very, very different people. That's 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 amazing. Yeah, it's this is a great great movie and i don't know what was wrong with me when i watched it the first time that it didn't uh to use a boxing term land on me the way it should have but when i watched it this time i was like holy crap this is just a great movie and at 73 minutes i mean boy it just gets in and out of town uh so wonderfully and again the opening shot and the final shot you just you feel like you're in the hands of of a of like a master. And this is amazing to think that this was Robert Wise on his way up. You know, this was, yeah. <laughs> this was him at the, the, the beginning of a 50 year career, not at the end, which is, which is just amazing. It is a great, great movie worth tracking down. I think you can, I think you can get it on iTunes. I'm not sure, but uh, even so it's worth finding. Cause it is, it is a really, and hopefully, movie. and hopefully they'll, they'll have the, the, the Blu-ray will be coming out at some point. Um, I haven't heard anything about it, but, you know, people could see it maybe on iTunes. I'm not sure, but uh, Eddie will be showing it on the on the 23rd. And if you've got, um, I think TCM has uh, an app, and I think once Eddie shows it, uh, you'll be able to then. If you miss it, don't DVR. If you miss it, or or or, or if you don't get a chance to to uh, to somehow see it, the, the app, I think will sh- will have it on there after he shows it. So um, oh, it could be terrific. a streaming thing that you'd be able to see. I'm not 
positive about that, but I just suspect that that's what's going to be happening. That's great. Yeah, it's it's absolutely worth tracking down. It's it's a tremendous tremendous movie. And so, Michael, thank you so much for wanting to do this one because this was this was great. I'm so glad I had a chance to rewatch this because this is. I mean, I I love Robert Ryan. I love his other movies, but and then I went and tracked down another one of his movies right after this uh, on Dangerous Ground. Uh, which is terrific as well. So now I kind of want to go through and you know find some of these film noirs uh, that Robert Ryan did that I'm not familiar with. I like got Act of Violence. I've never seen that one, and some of the other. Act of ones. Violence is terrific, you know. Yeah. And he and he and Harry Harry Belafonte, who co-stars in it, they <laughs> and again, Ryan is the heavy, um, but they became lifelong friends. That's great. That's fantastic. I love it. Your Ryan's last movie is The Iceman Cometh from 1973. It's directed by John Frankenheimer. Uh, this movie is an amazing cast. You've got Lee Marvin, Frederick March, who I love in his last movie as well. It's him and, and Ryan's their last movie together. Bradford Dillman and Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges is in this movie with all these Hollywood heavy hitters and it's I, I always find that fascinating when a guy who's in movies now is in a movie with people that feel like they're from a completely different era. You know, you're like, wow, that, that, there's there's the big Lebowski in the middle of this movie with Frederick March and Robert That's Ryan great. and Lee Marvin and the movie is over Four hours long. <laughs> the whole, it's the entire play. As long as we're speaking about Jeff Bridges, and I'll get one last thing in, and of course about boxing, and, and to say also thank you for having me on because I really love this movie, and anytime I get a chance to talk about it or tell anyone about how much I love it, it's, it's great, so thank you. But Jeff Bridges, back to Jeff Bridges and boxing. Jeff Bridges started my third favorite boxing movie, <laughs> City. Fat City, right, okay. Directed That's John by Houston, John, right? Houston, John Houston, based on a fantastic novel by Leonard Gardner. Um, and he starred in that with Stacey Geach, and he's a young fighter in that, a kind of young, up-and-coming fighter. And Stacey Keach is an older fighter like Stoker Thompson, who's on it, kind of on his way down. Um, I highly recommend anyone seeing that movie. It came out in 1972. It's a terrific movie. That's cool. Cool. I have to track that one out. I've never seen that one either. I've seen the trailer, but I've never seen the movie. But yeah, I, I like the idea that it was. I've seen Iceman Cometh uh, when I was younger. We had it at the video store we worked at, and I was like, "Damn it, I'm gonna sit through this. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna make the effort and watch this." And it's really, uh, it's kind of an amazing experience. I think it's the only movie ever released with two intermissions because <laughs> it was so long. But I mean, again, it's just, it's kind of cool to see. Robert Ryan and Frederick March, all these these guys, and and said it was their their last film. Robert Ryan, just like a, one of the one of the great. So again, Michael, thank you thank you so much for coming on, man. And I, I really enjoyed having you on Treasury Cast, and now doing Film and Water. This was just terrific. So where can people find you if they want to look at your work and stuff like that? I I well I work for the Film Noir Foundation and as a graphic designer, and um, you can see you can hook up with me on Facebook or on Twitter at m. W. Cronenberg. Uh, so, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I look forward to engaging with people if they want to go ahead and contact me. That would be great. Talk about the setup. Can't beat it. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Of course, of this show, you want to find all the back episodes of this show or any of our other great shows on the network. It's fireandwaterpodcast.com. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Film and Water Pod. So, thanks everybody for listening. And until next week, that's a wrap. Further west you walk. The browner, hotter, stiller, and emptier the country gets. I met the hard rock miners, old prospectors, desert rats, and whole swarms of hitchhikers, migratory workers, squatted with their little piles of belongings in the shade of the big signboards out across the flat, hard crust, gravelly desert. Kids chasing around in the blistering sun, 
Ladies cooking scrappy meals in sooty buckets, scouring the plates clean with sand. The young folks in work pants, khaki, and whipcord, slacks and cotton dresses, would gather around us and sing too. But sometimes they'd stand real quiet and listen. I knew what they was thinking about. <laughs> 